forward. There we go. So I think Sarah's bringing a friend here this morning. So that's cool. They're going to try to. Yeah. Yeah. She texted me this morning. And uh, so right after church this morning is the next steps class. And I think there's several people. So I think Sarah may try to go with that with her friend. But uh, here's a story from the Times reporter of New Philadelphia, Ohio. And this was reported in September of 1985, a celebration of New Orleans Municipal Pool. The party around the pool was held to celebrate the first summer in memory without a drowning at the New Orleans City Pool. In honor of the occasion, 200 people gathered, including 100 certified lifeguards. As the party was breaking up, and the four lifeguards on duty began to clear the pool they found a fully dressed body in the deep end they tried to revive Jerome Moody age 31 but it was too late he had drowned surrounded by lifeguards surrounding, uh, celebrating their successful season and I, that just really is striking isn't it a man drowned in an audience full of lifeguards that that's and yet it's like the firefighter yeah it is like that and yet in church this morning maybe i hope not in our church but i i know in some churches cuz i i spent 31 years in a church before i was saved 31 years i was in a church i was surrounded by quote unquote christians and i was lost that that's striking, isn't it? And so, uh, anyway, here's here's another story. In St. Louis, a lawyer visited a Christian to transact some business. Before the two parted, the client said to him, "I have often wanted to ask you a question, but I've been afraid to do so." What do you want to know? Asked the lawyer. The man replied. I've wondered why you're not a Christian. The man hung his head. I know enough about the Bible to realize that it says no drunkard can enter the kingdom of God, and you know my weakness. You're avoiding my questions, continued the believer. Well, truthfully, I don't recall anyone ever explaining how to become a Christian. Picking up a Bible, the client read some passages showing that all are under condemnation, but that Christ came to to save the lost by dying on the cross for their sins. By receiving Him as your substitute and Redeemer, He said, you can be forgiven. If you're willing to receive Jesus, let's pray together. The lawyer agreed, and when it was his turn to exclaim, Oh, Jesus, I am a slave to drink. One of your servants has showed me how to be saved. Oh, God, forgive me my sins and help me to overcome the power of this terrible habit in my life. Right there, he was converted. That lawyer was C.I. Schofield, who later edited the reference Bible that bears his name. I did not know that. That's cool, isn't it? The lawyer was a drunk too. The lawyer was the drunk. Yeah. And uh, does anybody have a Schofield Bible? I got one at home. 
That's uh, yeah, it? Oh, I think I had one. It says it was in St. Louis, I think. Uh, maybe not. All right. Let me see if I can find another one that you would like. Dr. Paul Brand was speaking to a medical college in India on let your light so shine before men that they may behold your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. In front of, in front of the electron was a, a oil lamp with its cotton wick burning from the shallow dish of oil. As he preached, the lamp ran out of oil. The wick burned dry and the smoke made him cough. He immediately used the opportunity. Some of us here are like this wick, he said. We're trying to shine for the glory of God, but we stink. That's what happens when we use ourselves as the fuel of our witness rather than the Holy Spirit. Wicks can last indefinitely, burning brightly, and without irritating smoke if the fuel, the Holy Spirit, is in constant supply. So some of these are just kind of evangelism's examples. Let me read this first one here. Second here. I can't get over the swimming pool thing. I'm sitting there thinking about that. <clears throat> All them people in Yeah. That was uh, 1985. It was in our life, my lifetime. Mm. But if it was for lifeguards, what the heck was he doing there? <laughs> well, it says there was 200 people, and 100 of them were lifeguards. So, other of them must have just. <laughs> Most of you know that we celebrate. All you men should know we celebrate Valentine's Day. But there was actually a guy named Valentine. And he was a Roman Christian who lived in the 3rd century. He served in the Roman army and was a well-respected member of society. When some of his servants were arrested and imprisoned for being followers of Christ, he encouraged them by sending them messages of love and encouragement. He used the symbol of a heart for secrecy, but those who received the message knew that they were from him. These messages of love were later called Valentines after St. Valentine, who was put to death for his Christian faith. They, they killed him. Um, now here's just some quotes, and these are from some folks you may know. Uh, this is William Booth. Does anybody know who William Booth is? What's he famous for? Shooting Lincoln. No. That's John Wilkes. John, that's John Wilkes Booth. Oh, that was his brother. I don't know. I don't think it was his brother. (laughs) (laughs) Pat, do you know? (laughs) He's what? Was he a president, or did he? No. Salvation Army. He he started the Salvation Army. Good job, Sherry. You should give away one of Jim's candy bars. (laughs) (laughs) He won't use them all anyway. 
Okay. Here's what William Booth said. Not called, you say? Not heard the call, I think you should say. Put your ear down to the Bible and hear him bid you go and pull sinners out of the fire, fire of sin. Put your ear down to the burdened, agonized heart of humanity and listen to its uh, pitiful, whale, pitiful wail for help. Go stand by the gates of hell and hear the damned entreat you to go to their father's house and bid their brothers and sisters and servants and masters not to come there. And then Christ, and then look Christ in the face whose mercy you have professed to obey and tell him whether you will join heart and soul and body and circumstances to the march to publish his mercy to the world. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? Charles Haddon Spurgeon says, Jesus Christ uh, died for sinners. Cannot we live for them? Hudson Taylor said, The hardness of your hearts may be the true cause for our want or lack of success. So hardened hearts. A guy named Robert Munger says, Evangelism is just one beggar Telling another beggar where to find bread. Charles Haddon Spurgeon also says, The man who is aglow with the love of Jesus finds little need for amusement. He has no time for trifling. He is dead earnest to save souls. A guy named George Truitt says, The bringing of one soul to Christ is the highest achievement possible. Curtis Hudson He says the only alternative to soul winning is disobedience to God. Uh, That's one thing that kind of motivates or haunts me a little bit because most of you know Jeremy Bonison, but Jeremy Bonison would tell you he is not a soul winner, but he says to him it's a matter of obedience. He, He witnesses because he wants to be obedient to Christ. And uh, that's that's kind of what that cult, that statement there was about. It, we either are trying to save, win souls, or, we're, or else we're being disobedient. A guy named Bob Hughes says, "Who needs to? Who needs a call? You have a command." And uh, here's another. I don't I don't know who said this. Being an extrovert isn't essential to evangelism. Love and obedience are. So, does everybody kind of know, I mean, extrovert is someone very outward and, uh, what do they call it, type A, uh, type A person. Um, and then an introvert is someone that was more in the background, but uh, anyway, you don't need to be an extrovert or an introvert, you just need love and obedience is what that says. Churches that have lost their heart for evangelism are living out their final chapter. And then another one says, if, you're, if your gospel isn't touching others, it hasn't touched you. And then some of you have heard of J. Sidlow Baxter. He was an Australian guy. That, he wrote an overview of, of, of the books of the Bible. And he's, he's got a, a great 
book. I, I use it myself. He says, Oh, may the dearest... Oh, may the dear prospect of his coming ever be an incentive to holiness and an urge to winning of other souls to him. And then uh, here's a guy named Malcolm. I I like this one. I read this earlier today. I think he's got a book called Living Water from Jesus. He says, I may, I suppose, regard myself as a relatively successful man. People occasionally stare at me in the streets. He says, that's fame. He says, I can fairly easily earn enough to qualify for admission to the higher slopes of the Internal Revenue Service. He says, that's success. He says, furnished with money and little fame... Even the elderly, if they care to, may partake of trendy diversions. He says, that's pleasure. He said, it might happen once in a while that something I said or wrote was sufficiently heated for me to persuade myself that it represented a serious impact on our time. He says, that's fulfillment. He says, yet I say to you... And beg you to believe me, multiply these tiny triumphs by millions, add them all together, and they are nothing, less than nothing, a positive impediment measured against one drop of that living water Christ offers to the spiritually thirsty, irrespective of who or what they are. So anyway, these are all pretty lofty things, aren't they? Uh, all right, Jim. I'll let you get that set up. I've got uh, a poem here, and I think we may have read this poem at our first one. And, and this should maybe convict all of us. It says, "You lived next door to me for years. We shared our dreams, our joys, and tears." A friend to me, you were indeed a friend who helped me when in need. My faith in you was strong and sure. We had such trust as should endure. No spats between us ever rose. Our friends were alike and so our foes. What sadness then, my friend, to find that after all you weren't so kind. The day my life on earth did end, I found you weren't a faithful friend. For all those years we spent on earth, you never talked of second birth. You never spoke of my lost soul and of the Messiah who'd make me whole. I plead today from hell's cruel fire and tell you now my last desire. You cannot do a thing for me. No words today my bonds will free. But do not err, my friend, again. Do not do all you can for souls of men. Plead with them now quite earnestly, lest they be cast in hell with me. That's uh, very, very sobering. Oh, you have that? So, anyway, I think I've just about filled all our time. And, uh, Jim, I owe you... Candy bar. A lot. <laughs> We've already given away one, so. <laughs> oh, that's okay. Well, you know, the video's pretty good. I, 
I've watched it several times this week, and I, I enjoy it. They've got really good comments, so. Oh, yeah. Maybe you get that know. signal. Mm-hmm. You know the speed limit there in back, didn't you? Oh, you bet. All the time. I going to go airborne there. That did not make your feel better. You did make a pretty fast oh, trip. Man. <laughs> if we only knew. <laughs> like the night that I had to go home, I forget what I had to do. Yeah. <laughs> all right, my friend. So are we are we recording it all? Or? Yep. All right. Yep. All right. So what all did? did I just covered cover? some evangelism quotes. I didn't go through this a lot. Did we already hand out all the little cards? Actually, I gave some to Pam. Yeah, she Did she pass them out? Everybody's got them. I've got one left. I don't. We don't. We have, have more. We had two little packets, so I only gave you one. Still wired there. What's that? Still recorded. Ah. <laughs> All right, see so some more little cards, little cheat sheet cards. Yeah, I'll take care of those. You have, this is this is recording. All right, good. Yeah, that's why this one's all busted out. All right. Alright, good mics. Alright. So did you guys talk about any review or anything? I don't want to like bore everyone. Uh, Okay, so you guys have this. This was the card that actually came up last week in chapter 5, a couple weeks ago. Uh, we didn't have them then, we have them now, so everybody should have one. Keep these in your billfold or purse. Yeah. The outline the outline that that little card talks about is what we're going to talk about for the next couple weeks. We're going to add a little bit of skin and, and flesh to that, that high-level outline. All right, so if you remember, two weeks ago, was the last time we met, and uh, Pastor Steve covered Chapter Five in our workbooks. Does everybody have our workbook? Everybody? Okay. I need one to borrow. Okay, borrow. Rebecca, you need to borrow one to to look at. Oh, you have it. Okay, cool. All right. So Chapter Five, uh, Steve covered. It was about crafting the message. Um, I was going to do a quick review since it's been a few weeks because chapter 6 you know, builds on chapter 5 so we need to kind of refresh does anyone remember anything about chapter 5 crafting the message I'm sure Steve does so it was a good video what it did you know, some, some people are bold with their witnessing Question? Didn't, didn't, didn't he do the steps on the rocks? Yes. Rich man. You deserve another candy bar. <laughs> that was the video where they did the four stepping stones across the stream, the little creek there. And and these four stepping stones are are up here. And this is kind of confusing. I'll, I'll cover it in a second. Some people are, are bold with their witnessing. You know, I think a guy's like Kevin. That guy's just bold. I don't, he's probably just not afraid to say anything anywhere. 
Uh, I'm more reserved, especially around people I don't know, and I think most of us are. We don't know how to start. We don't know what to say. We don't know. So these four stepping stones in chapter 5 give us a good structure to follow. And that's what's on our little card that we just passed out. It's that WDJD. That's the four stepping stones that, that was covered in chapter 5. The stepping stones taught us uh, kind of what to say. You know, would you consider yourself a good person? And, and how to kind of structure our conversation to not let it get to drift. Because that's what will happen when you're talking to people. They'll want to bring up these ten questions that we're going to get ready to go through. And, and this, this structure here that started in Chapter 5 will kind of help you stay on, on task. Um, so the main thing that the video emphasized in Chapter 5 was to practice being friendly. That was actually one of the homework assignments. Um, and that's something I've, I've actually tried to do in the last couple of weeks. Is I'm not a friendly person when I'm out in public. Uh, I speed for one, but now I'm a, you know I'm kind of a Martha. There's a Mary and a Martha personality. I'm a Martha where I'm busy. I have a task to do. I'm at the store. I get I'm getting stuff to go home or whatever. I don't really see people around me sometimes. So I try to be more of a Mary, and this is the story in the, in the Gospels you guys are probably familiar with, where I'm more sensitive to people around me and the suffering and the, and the looks on people's faces. So in the last couple of weeks, I've tried to be more sensitive because of this course, you know, the things we're talking about. And then that got me thinking that today is the 10th teaching that we've done in this, this room. Today we've done nine weeks of Way of the Master so what do you guys think? Is anyone is anyone picking up on this? Is anyone changing their behavior or being trying to be more sensitive or have you shared any more? Have you done more tracks? Anything? Has this, is this helping anyone? Please say it is. Tracks. <laughs> well, it is. And the tracks help a lot to start a conversation with somebody. Yes, they're very good. Easier. It helps with the words if they don't flow out of your mouth. Exactly. That's what this structure is. This kind of teaches us what to say. Tracks are awesome. So I always encourage everyone to grab some tracks, keep them in your cars. I've been passing them out like mad lately because of this course. So, all right. So last week in, ch- in Chapter 5, they talked about the WDJD. That's on our cards. I'm a, I'm a computer programmer. I write a lot of programs, and, I, and I've done it for 30 years. And I always look at things through that lens. So whenever I see a problem or a situation, I kind of break it down. And whenever we started The Way of the Master, I did the same thing in my head. I thought it would be a good idea to share it, but as I'm writing it, I told Sherry this morning, this is probably way too nerdy. That I don't want to lose you guys, but my nerd is showing on here. But these four stepping stones that were in Chapter 5 the structure they gave us, one of the things they said is that you need to stay on the stepping stone until you get your person that you're talking to to agree or disagree, whatever that needs. And then you can move to the next stone. And that's why I like about, that's why I always put this in my computer logic uh, diagram. So when you ask somebody, would you consider yourself a good person? 
you want them to say yes. This triangle, this symbol here in computer programming is the decision box, yes or no. So when you write a line of code, a yes or no comes out of it. So will you consider yourself a good person? Yes. Now you drop down. Do you keep the Ten Commandments? It's a decision, yes or no answer. If they say yes, you don't leave that stone, just like you wouldn't leave that piece of code. You keep driving home the message that they don't keep the Ten Commandments. And you don't get off of that stone, and this is what Kirk said in the video, you don't leave that stone until you get a no, I don't keep the Ten Commandments. Because you're, you're steering them toward, toward an end. So the next question they covered, the J on our card, if God was to judge you by those Ten Commandments, are you guilty or innocent? It's another yes or no decision box. Your person must say yes or no. If they say they're innocent, you've got to stay on this stone. You've got to stay on this box until you get them to admit they're guilty, as we all are. And they have violated commandments, as we all have. So the guilty, they flow down to the next box. Since you're guilty, the Bible says your destiny is would be hell. Will you go to heaven or hell? And a lot of people will still say heaven. So you've got to drive home. You got to, you're stuck on this stone again until you get them to admit they'll go to hell if, in their current condition of, of breaking the Ten Commandments. Then, and only then, and they're, they're clear on this in the videos, can you proceed to the back of your card, the craft? When you get them to admit and you humble them that they have violated the Ten Commandments, they will be judged by God and they would go to hell uh, without Christ. You've humbled them. They've, they've admitted their situation. Then you can start the gospel. And that's what the craft is. That's what we talked about in chapter 5. The sea. Does this concern you that you would go to hell or if, if you're judged by these? And hopefully they would say, yes, it does. And then you go through the cross, the repentance, and you can, you can lay that out, how, how the, the God's plan of redemption and salvation for them. So that's, that's the reason for the card. It's the front and back. It's the, the front, how to steer the conversation, humble them, get them to see their need for, for the Lord, and then the back of the card, an outline of how to present the gospel. Now today, in chapter 6, we talk about uh, the top 10 questions. It's on page 62 in our books. So let's flip over to 62. Hey, Jim? Yes, ma'am. Flipping over, can I say something? Yeah, well, you bet. That second stone, that second step, yeah. uh, sometimes can even make or break the conversation. Mm -hmm. Because, like, for me personally, if I talk to someone and, you know, do you, to Rich, do you consider yourself a good person? Well, the second thing is, if I were to say, do you keep the Ten Commandments? That's kind of judgment. They're they're going to put their guard up or they're yeah. listening. But if I say, so are you able to keep the Ten Commandments? Oh, Personalize yeah. it. That is good. Then they're it's, with me. They're yes. Like, they're like, well, no, of course not. It's well, not a defensive. So if, yeah. That's good. So, yeah. Mm. That's very good. I like the way they just start into just saying, are you a liar? Rather than say, do you keep the commandments? Because, yeah. like, well, I don't really. The Bible, oh, okay. 
Yeah. I don't believe the Bible. Yeah, you don't know the commandments. Yeah. Yeah. Well, most of them know don't kill people. Yeah. Well, you just don't steal. Some people don't. But yeah, that's that's very good, Pam. That's yeah. Everybody needs to have your own way. So I can connect and draw in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really good point because I, I get I would have got defensive, you know, like these ten questions that we're, we're going to watch the video here in a second. There's ten questions that this this chapter cover that I think every one of us have, at least did have before we knew Christ. I, every one of these ten I totally identify with personally because I had these questions, and I and I was very defensive and I argued with guys in high school that tried to witness to me, uh, and I was I was a goof. Um, and actually, before we go there, I would like to point out that let's go to Proverbs. I think it's 26. When I watched this video, this verse kept coming across my mind. Proverbs 26. You know, Proverbs is one of my favorite books. It's just it's just full of instructions on how to live life. Mm-hmm. Proverbs 26. This is one of the famous contradictions in our Bible. I'm going to explain it. Uh, Proverbs 26, verse 4 and 5. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest thou also be like unto him. So don't answer a fool with their silly questions, because you'll you'll be just like them. And then verse 5. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own conceit. So there it is. Now you're supposed to answer the fool to help him understand his the error of his ways, and he'll think he's right, but you're going to show him where he's wrong. When people bring up these questions, you know, and I, we've all talked to people at work, and they'll always throw up, you'll recognize these questions. They'll throw up these questions. Many times they're not sincere, and that's verse 4. He's just, they're, they're being a fool, they're being silly, they're wanting to draw you into their silliness. Whereas verse 5 is the sincere fool that just doesn't know. And that's where we come in because we, we help them with their question. Um, okay, yeah, that's all I'll say on that for now. Good. Yeah, so so that's what I thought of over and over. I, I do like this video. I watched it several times this week. Uh, it's only 20 minutes, 19 minutes, and we'll have a, a few minutes for a, a couple wrap-up. Let's make sure I didn't catch anything. Um, oh, another thing, too. Well, we'll talk about that when it's over. Let's let's fire this beautiful bean footage here. Uh, where do I do my, my remote? I had it. Okay. Which one is it? Uh, it's the Samsung. There it is. All right, here we go. Oh, I may need the remote uh, or the volume cranked. In previous lessons, we've talked about the importance of learning to go around someone's intellect, the place of argument, and learn to speak directly to the conscience, the place of the knowledge of right and wrong. But when you share your faith regularly, you'll find that questions 
questions do eventually come up and people would like to know the answers and you're going to want to be able to give them to them. So, for instance, what do you do when someone has a sincere question? Like, why are there so many hypocrites within the church? Or how about this one? Why does God allow suffering? That proves that there's no loving God, right? Or what if someone flat out tells you, I just don't believe in God and I don't believe in the Bible? What do you do? Recently, we attended an evangelism boot camp where 300 Christians from across the states and around the world gathered together to practice their witnessing skills. We asked them to tell us their 10 most common questions and objections they get when they're witnessing. And to help you learn how to answer these questions, we're not only going to give you some good answers, but we're going to show you how not to get stuck in the intellect and show you how these scenarios play out in real life. Let's go to the boot camp. Um, yes, I've encountered this in question a, a few times, and I think last boot camp we had this as well. Someone that says to you, uh, what about those people in those ignorant tribes in the deep part of Africa and the other jungles that never get the chance to hear about Jesus? What about, what about the other side of the world, though, that didn't get the lifeboat, that have their own set of beliefs and their own, you know, say, those who are Buddhists? They have no exposure to Jesus Christ. So does that, I mean... That's, that's always been my main conflict with it, is it, and it's and it's why I'm more willing to take in a little bit of everything because if you don't, somebody gets left out. Well, the inference there is that they're going to be going to hell because they haven't heard about Jesus, but that's not what the Bible says. A person doesn't go to hell for failing to hear the gospel. A person is condemned for sinning against the Lord. Think of it like this. If a man jumps out of a plane without a parachute, he will die, right? The reason he dies is not primarily because he doesn't have a parachute. The reason he dies is because he violates the law of gravity, which pulls him down to the ground, and he collides with the bedrock. Now, had he put the parachute on, he would have been saved, but the primary reason he perished was because he transgressed the law of gravity. The same with the person. If a person dies without Christ in the deepest heart of Africa, it's not primarily because if he goes to, dies without Christ, if he winds up in hell, it's not because he's failed to believe in Jesus. Primarily, it's because he has sinned against God. He's transgressed the moral law of God. That is what sends a man to hell. Now, had he put on the Savior, he would have been saved. And that's why, if we really care about people in Africa or anywhere else where they haven't heard the gospel, the best thing to do is to get our own hearts right with the Lord and then go into all the world and preach the gospel to these people so that they can be saved from their sin. And sin, according to the Bible, isn't failing to believe in Jesus. Sin is transgression of the law, 1 John 3, 4. Okay, question number two. Who's got question number two? Yes, well, uh, sometimes you, you talk to people and they'll say something like, well, what would God, uh, they'll say to me, God, my God is a good God, a God of love and forgiveness, and won't send me to hell. What do you say to that? I don't think I'm in the state of mind that I believe I have done sin and I should 
ask for forgiveness. For the lying? Blasphemy? I have lied. I, 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 I guess adultery. I know. I guess I have a God. I, I believe in a God a little more sympathetic than a black and white God. Do you know what you've just done? What? Broken the second commandment. You know what it says? You should not make yourself a graven image. You should not make a God to suit yourself. It's an example of idolatry, creating a God in your own image. I did that before I was a Christian. For about 10 years, from the age of about 12 to 22, I prayed every night. But it wasn't to the God of the Bible. It was to, to a God of my imagination, a God made in my image. And a God who I felt comfortable with. A God without any reference to righteousness or judgment. But the Bible tells us there is one God. He said, I am the Lord, I change not. And he says, I'll by no means clear the guilty. The God of the Bible has revealed himself as just and holy and righteous, and he'll bring every work to judgment, including every secret thing, whether it's good or evil. Also, it pays to, to reason about civil law also. Say, you know, if, a God, if, if a judge is a good judge, and he hears a, a, a man who's committed rape and murder, is he going to let the person go? No, if he's good, he must bring about justice. And the same with God. God, Where God sees sin, if he's good, he must punish sin. You cannot separate the goodness of God from the justice of God. And when Moses asked to see the glory of God, God says, I'll let my goodness pass by you. And he says, no man can see me and live. And if God unleashed his goodness upon sinful humanity, he would bring him to justice. Once again, you cannot separate the goodness of God from the justice of God. And that's the God that created us. And that's the God we have to face on Judgment Day. And that's why we need a Savior. Romans 5.8, God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that's to save us from the wrath to come. Okay, question number three. Yep. What do you say to someone who says, why is there suffering then? Because that proves there's no loving God. Right, that a loving God wouldn't allow suffering is really what they're saying. See, the thing is, uh, I don't see who God is to judge me. Uh, I have my own beliefs. I do right by him. If God is so good and so perfect, why are the people starving? Why are the women been raped? Why is there pe people been beaten? Why is there alcoholism? Why is there AIDS? So I don't feel that God, whatever, whoever it is, has any right to judge me. I was uh, recently at a camp that my wife and I have for uh, very seriously sick children and their families called Camp Firefly. And I was speaking with a father late one night on the porch of our cabin about his daughter. And his daughter is six years old. She has cancer. She uh, was in the process of uh, preparing to have her right leg amputated because the cancer had spread into her bones uh, as well as uh, other organs of her body. She's six years old, adorable little girl. <laughs> And we were talking about the Lord, and he said, you know, I've got to admit, uh, I believe in God, but sometimes when I look at my little daughter and I see the fact that God has not healed her from cancer, it really does shake my faith. And as a father, I, I empathized with him, and sympathized, and had to say, boy, I can't think of anything more difficult than that. And when God has the power to heal and doesn't, boy, I, I just don't have the answer for that. But... In the beginning, God created the world, and it was good, and there was no pain and suffering. And pain and suffering and death is the result of humanity's sin. And so we can't stand in moral judgment over God, saying, God, you're not fair, when humanity is the one that sinned against the Lord, bringing on uh, the curse and the fall. And
And I just reminded him that the Bible does say that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love him and those who are the called according to his purpose. And so the most important thing is to let suffering uh, cause us to draw near to God so that he can use the suffering and, and us for his glory, knowing that one day, if we're born again, we'll be with him in heaven where there is no more pain and no more suffering and no more death. And that seemed to make sense, although you can't completely answer the question in a way that erases the pain of, of seeing and experiencing suffering. I love what the Prince of Preachers said, Spurgeon said, faith may swim where reason may only paddle. And as we believe the promise of God that all things work together for good to those that love God and are called according to His purposes, it lifts us up above our circumstances. As Kirk said, if we have that faith, uh, one day we will understand. And so... Uh, Jesus said, have faith in God. And the Bible says, without faith, it's impossible to please him. So all of us are going to go through some sort of suffering. And so that faith will lift us above that suffering. And when you answer a person's question like that, in a way that makes sense, uh, according to the word of God, or, or just reason or logic, it really does provide an opportunity for a person to then open their heart or open their mind to you saying to them, you know, I'm glad that, that you're thinking so deeply about things like this. And, and some questions are really hard to answer. We'll ask God one day and we'll listen to the answer if we have our hearts right with him now. And then you can segue right into, let me ask you a question. Would you consider yourself to be a good person? What do you think is going to happen to you when you die? And then we can get into our, uh, our application of using the commandments to speak to the conscience. Okay, how about the next question? What do you say to someone that says that they're already saved, however, there's evidence in their life that appears that they're not? A hypocrite is saying that I've done something and I never do it again. I never said I wouldn't do what I do again. I'm going to still look at fat I'm still going to drink. I'm still going to be me. You know what I'm saying? Why? Because that's me. Yeah, well, that's me. Hey, when I feel that and I change my life, that's cool. But right now, I'm going to do what I do for well, today. Could God be speaking to you tonight through me? He could be. Well, but I don't know if you were, uh, 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 what's my man's name? The, uh, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I don't know who you are. My name's right. You just an inquisitive guy to me. Questions <laughs> giving me an interview. Yeah. That's all. Now, you know what God did so you wouldn't have to go to hell? You know what he did for you? What did he do? Send his son to die on the cross. I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to tell you something. I'm already saved, man, because I accepted the fact that Jesus Christ died for my sins. You know what I'm saying? That's a great question. You get a lot where someone comes up to you and, and, and they're smoking a cigarette and cussing and blaspheming and they're living with a girlfriend and got Jesus tattooed on their forehead and they say, I love the Lord. I'm born again. Born again when I was six. And, and you think something's wrong here because you have a spirit of discernment. Um, <laughs> but think of it like, you know, you're a doctor. If you've got a patient that comes in front of you, this is my own personal way of dealing with something like that. If a, if a doctor sees the patient is very pale, and he thinks something's wrong with this, this patient. doesn't look healthy to me. So if he begins to probe a little, he might say something like, Are you eating? You know, how's your appetite? The person says, Well, I haven't eaten for three days. I've got no appetite at all. So then he knows he's on the right track. His discernment is right. It's confirming what the guy said. So what I do when I see someone pale spiritually, there's something wrong. This guy's sick. You know, you can see what's coming out of his mouth. I see how his appetite is. I say, uh, When was the last time you read your Bible? 
and often people come back and say, oh, a couple of years ago. And you say, hey, things aren't right between you and the Lord, are they? So the Bible says the entrance of God's word gives light. A false convert or a backslider in heart will usually continue to pray. I think 96% of Americans pray. We all pray for the health of their family, etc. But when someone is not right with God, they won't want to read God's word because God's word brings light to them. It makes them feel guilty. Someone once said, this book will keep me from sin and sin will keep me from this book. So it's a great probing question when you find out the person hasn't read the Bible for two years and they, you know things aren't right between them and God, then take it through the good test. Say, well, can I ask you a question? Do you think you're a good person? Often they'll say, yeah, I'm a really good person because there's a lack of understanding of the righteousness of God. One of the things that I did um, just um, within the last couple of years is I had people in my family that I was concerned about whether or not they were really saved, although they thought that they were. If you had asked them, are you a Christian? They'd say, oh, yes, absolutely, and we go to church. And I remember uh, in the new year sitting down with them and just being real upfront about it. And I just said, hey, can I talk to you for a minute? And this was a family member. And I said, listen, I've been reading in the Bible, and there's a verse, Matthew 7, 21, where Jesus said that not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will inherit the kingdom of heaven. And that there will be many people who cry out, Lord, Lord, and he'll say to them, Jesus will say to them, depart from me, I never knew you. And he's speaking of people who think they're saved when they're not. And I said to my family member, that caused me to examine my own heart, to see if I'm really in the faith. Have I really repented of all sin and put my faith in Christ? And I've made a New Year's resolution to talk to the people I love because I want to make sure you're going to heaven. Can I ask you a question? Would you consider yourself to be a good person? I know you go to church. I know you think you're saved. But this is important. Do you think you've kept the commandments? Have you ever lied? Have you ever stolen? And we went through it. And two days later, this person called me on the phone in tears saying, My husband and I have been thinking about what you said. And we've been going through the commandments and realizing that our hearts are not right with the Lord. And we need to repent. Should we do this together or individually? And so, so whether it's a probing question, um, as Ray likes to do, or whether a, an upfront, honest uh, sort of confession of your concern for someone, whatever works for you, uh, bring it up because it's 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 about eternity. Okay, next question. That's good. Yeah. Uh, quite often when witnessing uh, one of the toughest uh, roadblocks I come up against is when somebody claims to be an atheist and they just say, well, I don't believe in God. And, you know, they aren't concerned about Judgment Day, the things of eternity. Uh, what do you say when somebody just says, I don't believe in God? And that's it. So do you, do you believe in God? No, of course not. That does come up fairly often. Um, Especially people with higher educations, you know, are saying, I don't believe in God. We've proven that there is no God. It doesn't need to be a God. But, you know, I like to say, you know, it's interesting. We have to remember that just because we don't believe in something doesn't make it disappear. All right? I mean, we could step out into the middle of the freeway with a blindfold on, and we can say, I don't believe in traffic. Well, that doesn't make the truck disappear. Right? Just because we don't believe something doesn't make it disappear. If it's there, if it's real, then we're going to have to deal with it. And it's not difficult to prove the existence of God to someone who is reasonable. 
I love meeting atheists um, because I know there's no such thing as an atheist, that God has given light to every man. There are just people who are foolish enough to deny that inner light that God has given. And I know there is no atheist in severe turbulence. You just got to be on a plane. Everybody prays on a plane that turns upside down and drops a couple of miles. Anyway, it's easy to prove God's existence, and if you want to do it, just just reason with them and say, "Well, look, you know, when you look at a building, how do you know there was a builder?" So the building is absolute proof there was a builder, even if you never saw him, even if you never talked to him, even if you don't know his name. There must be a builder. The building is proof there was a builder. It goes like this: building, the builder. And, and this same powerful principle can be used with paintings and painters. When you look at a painting, how can you know there was a painter? Well, the painting is absolute, one hundred scientific percent proof there was a painter. You cannot have a painting without a painter. And the same applies with a creator. You cannot have a creation without a creator. The Bible says, "For the invisible things of Him." From the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even as eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So just as you cannot have a building or a painting without a painter, so you cannot have a creation without a creator. But don't stay too long on the intellect and go for the conscience. Here's another interesting thing. I don't know if you've heard this, but here's an article uh, the Associated Press, and it's been all over the news. Uh, a British philosophy professor who's been a leading champion of atheism for more than 50 years has changed his mind. His name is Anthony. Anthony Flew, and he has now rejected his atheistic beliefs because he says evolution cannot account for the fact that one single cell contains more information than all the volumes of the Encyclopedia Britannica. And we know that from science, and evolution just cannot account for that. Um, And creation really does demonstrate that there is intelligent design and a creator. And always remember what your agenda is as a Christian. You want people to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't just want to convince them of the existence of God, some they already know. And think of it like being on a plane. If you want to convince a man to put on a parachute, you could argue with him about the existence of a plane maker. But the best thing you can do for him to convince him to put on a parachute is hang him out of the plane by his ankles for two seconds. <laughs> you go, whoa, I see what you're saying. Give me that parachute. And that's the best thing you can do for a sinner. Hang him out the door of eternity just for a couple of seconds without the Savior. Just let him hang out. They go through his, his sins, open up the commandments, tell him he has to face a law harsher than the law of gravity. And he'll say, what can I do? And he'll say, well, you need to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. You need the Savior. Mm. All right. Mm. 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 How would you guys think? Yeah. Was that all 10? Huh? Was that all ten questions? That was five questions. Okay. Uh, we're almost out of time. I think that clock's wrong, actually. Oh, okay. My phone's wrong. That's why. Okay, so have you guys heard? We've all heard those questions, right? I like the uh, creation and creator part. Yeah. The painter and the painter. Yeah, that's the whole Romans 1, is what he read there, is how... You know, by creation, you know, we know there's a creator just by by creation. All right, so whenever I watched that, um, a couple things came to my mind. One, you know, like I said, I had all those questions before I I came to know Christ. And it took me years to, to get to work it all out in my head. So I think how important it is that us sharing our faith... 
know the answers in our heads, you know, which which would be if you know, if we don't know the answers, this that's one cool thing with our church is we're set up to teach everyone the answers, you know, through D one, discipleship two, you know, our Bible studies here, the ABS. This church teaches the answers to those questions, so so we should all know the answers. Uh, that's the first thing I thought of when I watched this. The second thing was is that it's always good to know what your enemy's going to do. You know, even though people are our enemy, but whenever I started, you know, I've told you guys, I, after I got saved, I joined a street team where I went out to concerts and I did kind of this kind of stuff, but I really wasn't trained. I was just zealous to go do stuff. And I would, I would get asked these questions and it would like stop me in my tracks because I did not know. And man, that's embarrassing and that's tough to say, you know, I have to get back with you. You're not because you're not going to know the person, but... So it's just really good to know where people are going to go. And these 10 questions, we, we covered five today. And we'll all admit these are the questions we hear. Next week we'll cover the next five, and those are also questions we hear. So we know what we're going to be asked as we go through this structure. Now something that they, they highlight in next week's video is that it's okay... To cut people loose, like like remember the the uh, okay like the the black dude, you know he was like, yeah. hey, you know what I'm doing my thing. <laughs> he'll never get, he'll never get down to this point to humble the guy, or he may have, but I mean sometimes you can't. So so Ray and Kirk just say just you just have to cut him loose. The guy in the cowboy hat, he was like. There's too much bad in the world. God's allowing cancer. I'm not going to let him judge me. And, you know, okay, well, thank you for your time. And it's okay to cut people loose if you get stuck on a stone and, and you can't get out of that loop. So that's what they're going to talk a bit, little bit about next week. So, yeah, we're out of time. So we'll go ahead and break for now. Uh, any questions? Any other comments? Sorry, we kind of ran late today. I had, we was going to go through the five questions and talk a little bit about them, but maybe we'll have time for that next week. And Blame it on Steve. He forgot Yeah. That's cool. Guilty. All right, so let's dismiss. Hey, Rich, would you care to pray us out? I'm kind of right. tired of talking. Lord, I'm going to bring us here this morning to our class. Um, learn about evangelism. Um, these five questions we ask people. Um, as we uh, run into them, uh, it's kind of hard to bring these questions up. Other people you don't know, but if we have it in our heart and know they need help uh, finding you, Lord Jesus Christ, uh, we go ahead and ask these questions. And uh, I want to uh, bless Brian Hedges for the uh, main service here in a few minutes. And uh, watch over Jim Boette and Brandy Foster and everybody dealing with their illnesses. and we we'll give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Rich. Good job.
I was going to say, even if you have to cut someone off, it, to me, I encourage myself by saying they can't unhear that yes. conversation we just had. I mean, it's, yeah. Yes. Yeah, you, and it, uh, hopefully if they hear a couple people approach them or, you know, at some point, their conscience can break oh, yeah. It's like Kirk's family member that he was talking about called him two days later to say, hey, yeah. you know. I, I say that all the time. They can't unhear that. Yeah, Thank you. Uh, thank you for. Uh, oh, no problem. Race at home. It, yeah. It was well worth it. Yeah, I don't do video. Because I, I, had, I had nothing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all prepared. It's funny. Like, I've been carrying this thing in my car for like a month. And this is a few days ago. I took it out and hooked it back up. Because I always thought I'll just keep it just in case something doesn't work. Oh, sorry. Excuse me. Sorry. Do you, do you know I made sure my phone was charged today? I'm thinking, I might have to video today. Yeah. So I was kind of thinking of that, but I never even yeah, crossed my mind about this. Going on. Plus last night. Hated the miss last night. You want to hang on to that? Yeah, I got the truck. Oh, man. I need to turn this off. Brianna. Brianna. <laughs> yeah, I got the truck uh, 